0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jesus Stories podcast. We're at episode 11. This podcast tells the stories of Jesus in an informal, informative, and interesting way. I'm George Taylor, your storyteller. These Jesus stories come to you because of your support and your encouragement. A few of you have reached out with encouraging words and even prayer requests. Thank you for your words. Thank you for allowing us to pray for you and your situation you can do the same by visiting the website, JesusStories.info, and click on the Talk to Us tab in the menu. If you'd like to support this podcast, I encourage you to start by telling someone, anyone, about these episodes. Our social media links are on the website, JesusStories.info. You can share those links with your friends on contacts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, If you'd like to support us financially, click on the Support This Podcast tab and find the level of support that fits your budget. You can even become a monthly patron through Patreon and hear Jesus Stories extras. Again, click on the Support This Podcast tab in the website, then click on Become a Patreon. The website again, JesusStories.info. That's JesusStories.info. If you're new to this podcast, I invite you to go all the way back to the beginning and listen to our previous episodes. We're telling the story of Jesus in chronological order, or as best can be determined to be a chronological order. So what happens before today is important for understanding the events which we will describe in today's Jesus Story episode. Last week, we left in the middle of a discourse from Jesus about himself. Remember, he was being challenged by the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and Sadducees, about telling a crippled man to take up his mat and walk, even though it was on the Sabbath day. This was a huge no-no in the Sabbath day rule book. I hope you've had a chance to think about the arguments that Jesus uses in his verbal combat with these leaders. Let me just summarize what he's told them so far. He states that he and his father, Jehovah, are connected, not only in deeds, but in love. Jesus states that Jehovah has also given him authority to bestow life, just as the father does. So, Jesus and Jehovah cannot be separated. To do that dishonors the Father. Jesus' authority to bestow life includes spiritual life, bringing people into relationship with Jehovah. And Jesus also has the authority to raise persons from physical death. Now, that's a lot to take in particularly if you're a religious leader looking to protect your position in the face of these seemingly heretical statements. And you might ask the question, what proof do you have to support your claims? Jesus anticipates this question with the next statement. He says, if I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. In other words, if I were to say this without some backup, it wouldn't be true. And this is an argument which the religious leaders would appreciate. It was true to the law of Moses, which they are trying to follow. So Jesus begins to bring his witnesses to court, so to speak. First, he talks about John the Baptist. You remember John. He was a guy living out in the desert eating locusts and wild honey. He preached a consistent sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus reminds these leaders that they had sent people out to investigate John and his teachings. You check out Jesus' stories episode number four. You'll find it there. Jesus tells these leaders that John's testimony about me was true. What did John say about Jesus? John specifically called Jesus Lord, Lamb of God, and son of God. He reminds these leaders that they were excited about John for a while. Now, of course, John is in prison. Second, even more than the testimony of John, there is a greater witness to Jesus' claims to be equal with the Father. That, Jesus says, is my teachings and my miracles. These are works given to me by the Father for me to accomplish, he says. They prove that he sent me. What works is Jesus talking about? Well, so far we watched as Jesus has filled Peter's fishing boat with fish on Lake Galilee, exercised a demon, healed Peter's mother-in-law, healed a leper, a paralytic, and the most recent healing, another paralytic, At the pool of Bethesda, even the religious leaders would have to admit that such actions could only be accomplished by Jehovah God if they were being honest with themselves. And then finally, Jesus says that Jehovah Himself has confirmed that Jesus is as He says He is. But the religious leaders have missed the message. Jesus says. You've never heard his voice or seen him face to face, and you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. In light of these arguments and backing testimonies, you might think that Jesus was done, but this is not the case. He proceeds to indict these religious leaders with three skewers. First, he says, you've read your scriptures thinking that will... Give eternal life. But those scriptures point to Jesus, and you've missed the point. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this eternal life, he says. Secondly, he says that he doesn't care whether or not they approve of him. I know you don't have God's love within you. These are strong words against them. Jesus says, I come to you in the name of the Father, and you reject me. Others come in their own names, and you accept them. You'll honor someone like that, but you'll not honor Jehovah God? And finally, Jesus says that their real accuser will be Moses. Now, this is a shocking statement for them. They honor Moses highly as the giver of the law, which they so earnestly seek to follow. But Jesus says, if you really believe Moses... You would believe me because he wrote about me. Indeed, Moses had told the Israelites that God would raise up a prophet from among them to whom they must listen. Jesus finished by saying that since they don't seem to believe Moses, how can they believe him? These are strong words for these religious leaders. These words would have been overheard by the public gathered around at the temple. So while the words were directed toward these religious leaders, the worshipers would have heard and learned from this teaching. Remember, Jesus is the master teacher. He doesn't miss an opportunity to talk about his kingdom during the three short years of his earthly ministry. These confrontations continue during this part of Jesus' ministry. Jesus and his disciples passed through a grain field on the Sabbath day. His disciples, being hungry, picked the grain to eat. Another Sabbath? No, no. The Pharisees see this and chastise Jesus over his disciples, doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus reminds them of another story in the Scriptures, but he starts with an insult. Haven't you read, is his opening statement, Of course they've read. These men know the scriptures. So he reminds them that King David and his men who were hungry went into the temple and ate the sacred bread that only the priests are supposed to eat and only after it had been sitting out for a week. This was against the law. Not only that, he says, the priests of the temple work on the Sabbath. In other words, there is precedent for so-called working on the Sabbath. Even more than that, Jesus says, I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. Of course, Jesus is talking about himself. See the previous conversation. I, Jesus, am equal with Jehovah God. Then he makes a statement which comes to the real heart of this matter, what he's really trying to teach them. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. This teaching is the second time we've encountered two references to the Old Law, the Old Testament in our 21st century English. We've heard the scripture I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, before when Jesus was eating with tax collectors after calling Matthew to follow him. Jesus is quoting the prophet Hosea, words which the Pharisees would have known very well, but they apparently had some trouble applying this scripture to their lives. I like the way in which this is rendered in Eugene Peterson's The Message. I prefer a flexible heart to an inflexible ritual. The second reference is the use of the title Son of Man. Again, this is the second time this title has been used by Jesus when talking with the Pharisees. While we didn't mention it in the last episode, Jesus used that title when talking with the religious leaders about the authority Jehovah has given him to judge. What is this title? This comes from the Old Testament. In the book of Daniel, one of Daniel's visions includes a son of man who was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world. His rule is eternal. The Pharisees understood this son of man to be a reference to the Messiah. By using this title for himself, Jesus is identifying himself as the Messiah, This won't be the last time these religious leaders hear this overt message. Being the Son of Man and Lord over the Sabbath, specific titles Jesus uses in this instance, Jesus is telling these Pharisees directly that he is the Messiah and the creator of the Sabbath. Therefore, he can do with it as he wishes. On another Sabbath... Jesus was in a synagogue teaching. He sees a man with a shriveled right hand. Now the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were watching to see if Jesus would heal this man on the Sabbath. They wanted to trap him, so they asked him, Does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping for an answer of yes. So Jesus challenges them with this statement. If you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath... Would you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? So, he says, it's all right to do good things on the Sabbath. So, Jesus calls the man to stand up front in front of everyone in the synagogue. He poses the question back to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? The Pharisees don't answer. The word for this silence implies the rebellion of someone who refuses to be reached. This elicits a reaction from Jesus of both anger and sadness. These teachers of the law and Pharisees have hearts that are hard. Jesus heals the man. But instead of being glad for this healing of this man's hand, these religious leaders, in their anger, begin to discuss what to do with Jesus. Their hearts are so hard that they meet with the Herodians, followers of Herod who were friendly with the Romans, to plot how to kill Jesus. With the threat against him growing, Jesus and his disciples leave the city. They go over to the Sea of Galilee, but he's not alone. People come from all over the region to him. Remember the map we referenced in episode number nine? You'll find it in the show notes again today. You may want to look at that region again. The scriptures tell us that people were coming from all over Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Judea and Jerusalem are down south, about 70 miles away. Idumea and east of the Jordan River from Gentile, not Jewish territory, from Tyre and Sidon, they're up in the north, again in Gentile territory. So why were they doing this? Because these people had heard about Jesus' miracles. In other words, the people were more interested in what Jesus could do for them than in hearing about his kingdom. Jesus told his disciples to have a boat ready so there could be an escape from the crowd. Because of the miracles, because of the healings, people were rushing forward to see him. Evil spirits who possessed some of the people would see Jesus and throw these people to the ground and shriek, you are the son of God, confirming that Jesus was indeed who he said he was. But Jesus commanded those spirits not to tell who he was. Matthew tells us, that this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah from 600 years ago. The prophecy reads like this. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious, and his name will be the hope of all the world. Indeed, the hope of all the world will select his disciples in our next episode. These disciples who will become apostles. Right now, we must leave him and the crowd. This podcast is made possible by you, our listeners. It is your prayers, your financial support, and your encouragement which keep us going, and we appreciate it. Have you helped us out? It's really easy. You just visit our website, JesusStories.info. Click on the Support This Podcast menu item, and you'll find out how to do that. Did you know we reach listeners from all over the globe? You can help increase that number by just telling your friends and neighbors and family and maybe even some complete strangers about us. There's a great method for doing that outlined on our website. Go to JesusStories.info, click on the Share This Podcast tab, and you'll find the links for sharing us via social media as well. No, we did not forget that. In two weeks, Jesus Stories captures a pivotal moment in Jesus' life— He will choose 12 of his followers to become apostles, as we mentioned before. And we will also begin looking at one of the most famous sermons in all of Scripture, what is called the Sermon on the Mount. That'll take us several episodes to consider. Next week, we focus on the Beatitudes right at the very beginning of the sermon. In the meantime, check the show notes for all the references for each of our lessons. We'll see you in two weeks for the next Jesus Stories.